0: You're listening to The Doc Lounge Podcast. This is a place for candid conversations with healthcare industry's top physicians, executives, and thought leaders. This podcast is made possible by Pacific Companies, your trusted advisor in physician recruitment. I am your host, Summer Gilbert, and I am the Director of Marketing and Branding here at Pacific Companies. And today my co-host is Director of Recruitment, Mr. Mark Scarlotta.
1: Good morning, Summer.
0: Good morning. Thanks for uh, being on the podcast with me. Happy to be here. So today, Mark and I got to talk to Dr. Mike Lee, board-certified primary medicine physician in our neck of the woods here in Orange County. Um, Dr. Lee, we talked to him about his journey, um, learned more about his family, and then we kind of got into his passion for mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, He speaks to physicians about burnout, Which, you know, is amazing. Super
1: important these days.
0: And uh, you can really tell by talking to him how passionate he is about what he does. Um, He even goes out of his way to speak about mental health and burnout. Um, And he really practices what he preaches.
1: I I agree with that. And I think it's it's so important that, you know, he, he talked about how busy he was just as a physician and as a father and as a husband Mm -hmm. but yet he still thinks it's important to take the time to help other people with burnout or any issues from a clinical standpoint so from physician to physician and Mm -hmm. helping them get to a better place.
0: So we are really excited for you guys to hear the episode so hang on after this quick disclaimer for our podcast with Dr. Mike Lee. And just a quick reminder, this podcast is intended to be an open forum. Any personal beliefs, views, or opinions represented in this episode are that of our guest and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Pacific companies. So please have an open mind and remember that this podcast is not a news source, but rather a safe and neutral platform for candid conversations. So first of all, Dr. Lee, thank you so much for being with us today.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course um so let's start off just from the beginning what made you want to go into medicine?
2: You know it's funny I think uh, you know my father's a physician as well and I, I, you know part of part of I think the Asian culture is you know your dad's a doctor I'm the oldest son kind of assume that you're you're gonna be a doctor too It's funny my mom used to joke you know no one's gonna marry you unless you become a doctor mm. <laughs> I was like yeah. <laughs> clearly I clearly have nothing else to offer <laughs> but you know I, it was kind of in my mindset that that was kind of what I wanted what I was gonna be yeah. but I'll, I'll tell you it wasn't until college, actually, that I had to ha- make some really hard life choices um, and really think about, was this really what I wanted or was it more like kind of what my parents wanted or what mm-hmm. culture was telling me I wanted? And so, you know, I had some pretty big events that happened and, and just really shifted my mind. And thankfully, it, it came back to just Realizing that this is kind of what I wanted. I, I Not kind of, that this is really what I wanted to do was be a physician.
0: What inspired you to go the primary care route?
2: The Oh, you know, was, I don't know why. I think the minute I knew I wanted to be a doctor, I kind of knew I wanted to be family medicine. I, I really appreciated the fact that you get to have, you know, long-term relationships with patients and that actually I have more joy of sometimes than just doing the medicine part of it. And then I have had really positive mentors in my life who are family docs that really, you know, I, I look, up to and I got to see all the things that they did and appreciated all the kind of the relationships that they had a the chance to build and also yeah. the joy that they got out of the practicing
0: yeah if you had to go back and choose a different specialty you oh, couldn't do family medicine right what would you choose?
2: I think I would have done psychiatry. You okay. know, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I, people always joke around. They're like, M- uh, Mike, you know, you're, I think you are uh, you missed your calling. I think you should have yeah. been a therapist <laughs> or a psychiatrist. And so, you know, I, I definitely, you know, my dad's a psychiatrist actually. Okay. So I think that's where I got some of that from. And then, you know, I think it's just, I find the human mind so amazing. And mm-hmm. so definitely probably would have gone that route.
0: Yeah. So you said your wife is a physician as well. She
2: is. How yeah. did
0: you meet her in training? Or oh, how'd you meet her?
2: We met her. We met in residency. Okay. Okay. actually. So yeah, we wrote, I, I rotated through a hospital, uh, for my OBGYN rotation. Mm-hmm. And believe me, it was funny back then I was like, oh, I'm never going to marry an OB guy. And they're all overly tired and they're yeah. crazy. And I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, um, uh, but you know, we met on um, that rotation and I, honestly, I just kind of, it kind of started off from there and we had a great relationship. Yeah.
0: I know there's like a lot of relationships get formed in that because you're both going through the same stuff, same schedule, and you can relate. Right,
2: right, and I have to say that does help a lot because Mm -hmm. you know if she's running late or if I'm running late, we get it. You know we know that there there are going to be some uh, patient appointments or visits or surgeries or procedures that are going to be longer than you expect. And so I think we definitely give that and have that empathy for one another
0: in that way. Yeah, for sure. How do you balance your time being a father? and a full-time physician. You
2: know, I think that is a great question and I'll be honest with you, I definitely still struggle with that a little bit because a lot of times, you know, you're so tired from your workday and this is I think one of the hardest things that a lot of physician parents deal with is you just have no more energy left when you get home and to well, have yeah, to have to give that to your to for your kids can be definitely hard and I realize you really have to be intentional about it. You know, you really have to think like you know plan ahead really and for me I'll tell you there those moments I'll you know mm-hmm. people are like oh Mike you seem like such a good dad but I'll I'll, I'll tell you if my kids filled out a survey they'd be like no mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. my dad needs some help <laughs> and I'm like I'm like great I'm gonna have to hire a therapist for my kids one day you know from my like challenging parenting situations but I think you know the constant I, I think efforts of trying to find time with them mm-hmm. and then just making that time quality and really trying to connect with them I, I feel like is definitely one of the things that i need to i mean i'm working on and definitely getting better
0: yeah well but i've really seen a lot of the physicians i've interviewed so far um they have said their parents were physicians and that inspired them to become one so a lot of times you know as they get older they they start to appreciate what you do and you know you become almost like a superhero like i want to do that
2: Right. too, you know? Right, right, so. definitely. But I'll tell you, I've also heard the opposite where pe- your mm. kids will be like, oh, I don't want to be a doctor because I see how yeah. much my mom and dad are never home or, mm-hmm. you know, how much stress it takes on them. So I think those are the hard, harder ones sometimes. Yeah. is I've heard that from my colleagues who have had that scenario where their kids were like, I don't want to ever be a doctor because I see how hard sure. you work. And yeah. yeah, I think it definitely it definitely makes you sad when you see that because, mm-hmm. you, you know, obviously we do get some joy from our work and we'd love for our kids to be able to see that as well so you know i'll tell you one of the things i've been someone taught me was that you know when i come home in front of my kids i try not to say ah, work was terrible or this was bad. Like I try to really make a conscious effort to say that, you know, oh, this was good at work and this, you know, like I really enjoyed that I had this, you know, conversation with my patient or Mm -hmm. that this went really well. So you kind of, you know, the work isn't just looked at as a negative perspective um, that you actually show them the positive ones too, right? I'm sure both of you probably do that have to do with your kids too as well.
1: Absolutely. For sure. Definitely want to um, make sure that it's positive, for them right and I can totally relate coming home working here all day and, and being very tired and, and mentally taxed right and I don't want to show that side so as you said I try to consciously be available to them right mentally and physically
2: right right so
1: that I can be part of their lives right I have you know my work or my stress take away from yeah. being a father to them
2: totally mm-hmm. totally and i think going back to and i appreciate you sharing that because i think one of the challenges we often have is shutting off our phones yes. you know or shutting off the electronics because mm-hmm. yes. how many of us do that when we get home it's like we're in front of our kids we're like look, checking our emails or we're doing this and i think yeah. that that's one thing and i'll be honest with you my wife and i still challenge are challenged by that but we're trying to make a conscious effort to really turn that off when we get home so i come
1: home at six o'clock i have a pretty uh, strict routine. Yeah. I come at home at six. Bedtime is at eight. Mm-hmm. When I pull into the driveway at six, I leave my phone in the car. Mm-hmm. Put the kids to That's bed. A good idea. When I'm done, wow. then I'll go back out to the car and I will get the phone. Right, right. Because otherwise, I'm just. Doctors are always contacting <laughs> me, right? So, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm constantly checking. Or and I, again, I, I only have a short amount of time with my kids, mm-hmm. so as I'm sure you and your wife do both being uh, professionals and doctors right right definitely so no I think
2: you know one of the things I've learned to appreciate actually is the driving time you know like the uh, Mm -hmm. taking them to their different activities I realized like that and and actually I had another physician share that with me she's like you know one of the things I really enjoy are those times when you're driving your kids to their different activities because that's when you talk to them you know and and for a lot of them that's when they kind of Mm -hmm. share more and then it just depends on your kid and my my son he likes to talk at night right before before he's about to go to bed, and I'm like, "Go to bed!" And he's like, "He's like, oh, Dad, let's talk." And I'm like, "This is the worst time to talk. You need to go to bed." But You know, but that's his like sort of bonding time. Is he likes yeah. to talk right before he goes to sleep. So you know, I think you just kind of find what your kids where they like to talk and share in their moments, and you just take advantage of those times.
0: How old are your kids?
2: Minor nine and twelve now.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So one boy, Good one ages. girl for sure. Okay. Yeah.
2: It's really which one's fun. the oldest? The my son is the oldest okay. right now. Yeah. So it's definitely an interesting experience. So, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm grateful for it though that they're healthy more than anything else
0: yeah um so what advice would you give to those med students listening about picking a specialty
2: oh that's hard i I, i'll tell you that i would say don't and that's it is a great question because i think a lot of med students feel pressure to pick a specialty sometimes based on the income level you know they look at it and they're like you know they they look at uh they look at dermatology and they think oh wow they make a lot of money don't have to work as many hours you know not that stressful or they look but they don't what they don't really think about is like what is really something i enjoy what Mm -hmm. what do i really what am i passionate about or what is it that i do because i can tell you some people pick specialties because they thought it was going to be less hours Mm -hmm. or less joints than the family but I don't think they really enjoy what they do, you know. So, yeah. yeah. So I tell them, you know, figure out what you really enjoy, like what what um, what fascinates you, what interests mm-hmm. you, and don't think about. I mean, I know you have to consider the hours, but at the same time, somehow or other, you can make it work or where you know? your
0: strengths lie.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Because the one thing I've noticed is for a lot of them, they don't know. I mean, I don't think anyone coaches us on self awareness. You know, mm-hmm. or like really taking. And I wish med schools did this better. Was to really get them an opportunity to kind of take a step back and say, before they pick their specialty, to think, okay, who, like, what do I enjoy? What are my interests? And and then just say, like, hey, if you like these things, this think about this specialty. If you like mm-hmm. these things, think about that one.
1: On that note, Doctor Lee, if you were a, a counselor right. at a medical school, sure, right? how would you sell someone on, on going into primary care, family practice?
2: oh gosh there's so many things Yeah, I would, I would definitely say it's funny I always joke around I tell people I think I have ADHD adult style because I'm like my mind's everywhere all the time and I think the one thing that I liked about primary care is you get to do a little of everything so um, you know it's really neat because you get to do some women's health you get to do some peds if you want to you do adult medicine um, but you know you get you're kind of the front line so I, I would sell it as like it's really that you get to have that relationship with that patient and mm-hmm. treat the whole person instead of just one organ system and so um, i would sell it as that that you get to have that connection with people mm-hmm. and it's been really fun for me because you know i get to have that connection and then once they like you they're like oh i'm going to bring my kids in to see you you know and then you know they you, tell
0: their friends they tell their friends right, yeah. right
2: right right mm-hmm. exactly so i think to have that for me it's all about trust building mm-hmm. with the patients and this is what i when i mentor med students or precept uh, like i precept the residents I, one of the big things I tell them is like, you, one of the things we, we look, the medical part's good and you're going to learn it. But at the same time, one of the things we need to get better at is learning how to build trust with their patients. Mm-hmm. And, and because it's a very, I mean, I, I looked this up and it's really unfortunate, but people don't trust doctors. They don't trust mm-hmm. the healthcare system as much as they used to. So, you know, I and mean, I, I get it. If you look at the media, what do they portray? They portray doctors as like, we're all fraudulent Medicare people and we're yeah. doing these things. And we yeah. all we all get these quote unquote bonuses based on not ordering things for patients which is not yeah, true prescribing right 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 and this, and this is what we they see so i i get why there might be a distrust of the system so i tell people you know if you can learn how to build trust with your patients it, it's mm-hmm. so powerful and really i think that's like the one thing that we need to get better at at coaching and teaching actually yeah. for the for the growing upcoming doc new doctors
0: yeah um, I have an interesting question well you see all this hype about coronavirus what um, have you guys your department been doing anything to prepare for that or I know you guys know a little bit more the right. truth about it right. than what's the hype in uh, social media news and all that so right. what are your thoughts on? Oh my on gosh that? no
2: definitely and I you know it's funny I'm in transition right now actually I just uh, resigned from a physician at, at uh, Kaiser Permanente Southern California Permanente Medical Group mm-hmm. and um, I can tell you that they're great I mean they they do such a good job with preparing and they do a good job of trying to educate the patients and i think a lot of it goes around education because you know what people read on the blog sites and what they see yeah. is just a lot of it's hype and it's fear based mm-hmm. you know and so instead of instead of really genuine true education it's like paranoia and fear. yeah and i think that's just the human mind right we always go to that most worst case scenario yeah and so i think for people they really have to think about ask you know make sure it for people to ask their physicians you know look up legitimate websites which have true medical you know that are based on true medical facts
1: cdc being one of them
2: yeah cdc definitely being one of them for sure world health organization all those kind of websites will have the real stuff then mm-hmm. don't look at blogs or facebook posts and things like that because that'll just freak you out yeah. you know, when you read stuff so like.
0: is it prevalent? Is it coming? Here? I mean,
2: definitely. I think, you know, obviously we're seeing more and more cases yeah. pop up. So it's hard because, you know, there might be people having it, but we're, they're not, they're not tested for mm-hmm. it. And then they get over it. So we don't even really know, you know, we just know that it's definitely more dangerous for the older population. Um, And that we just, you know, that's about it. But unfortunately, there's no vaccine yet. There's no treatment. So, you know, I can't, I'm not not an epidemiologist Mm -hmm. or anything like that or an infectious disease specialist. But I can tell you that I know a lot of the medical groups are getting on top of it and just trying to figure out how to do it. And I'm grateful to live in the U.S. where we do have resources and where we do have things. Because I think, unfortunately, in other countries where they don't have all those things, that's where a lot of the fatalities are coming from. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. They don't have the supportive care that they can give for that.
0: What are the symptoms that you guys look for for coronavirus? Do they mimic mm. something else?
2: Mm. Yeah, no. I, I you know that's the hard part. I think a lot of people think it's like the flu, mm-hmm. but you know mostly it's a high fever and a and a cough. And, and but the hard part is there's so many things I can pr- present that way yeah. so I think that's why they've had to really look at travel you know like mm-hmm. have they traveled have they been recently exposed to someone um, from those areas um, things like that but definitely and that's why I think a lot of them is just stay home you know what mm-hmm. I mean that's why a lot of them are, uh, qu- are being quarantined uh, when they travel come back from Asia or when they come back from different countries where coronavirus is well known to be growing and spreading fast mm-hmm. but I just read last night that actually it's, it's, ca- it's getting less it's trending downwards in mm-hmm. China and now, great which is great I think because they jumped on it and but you know obviously we don't know exactly for sure but that's at least is what I've heard or I've read since um, last night
0: yeah good yeah. good to know
2: yeah uh,
1: I had another question sure. for you you have been out of training since 2004 so coming up on 16 years now right in your 16 years in medicine how have you seen things change from when you came out of training? to today in the world of medicine
2: oh gosh i think technology i would say has probably been the biggest mover Mm -hmm. you know i I would never imagine to be doing visits over skype or you know video visits um or even telephone visits as we are now Mm -hmm. you know i think that's definitely uh taking a, a big foothold in the way healthcare is being done now is, um, doing it over the phone or doing it over cameras or videos. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that's probably been one of the major changes that I've seen. And then definitely, I would say the change in the d- diversity of the physicians, you know, I think physicians that older generations predominantly male, but I'm happy to see that now we're seeing much more women going into medicine yeah. and definitely the gifts and the, and the talents and skills that are brought through that mm-hmm. are great. And I think it's only making the healthcare better here in the U.S.
0: So. Mm-hmm
1: despite the fact that technology may have made your life easier has your job as a physician over the years become harder i would say yes and if so why
2: i think because of technology unfortunately okay it, we we have we have access to our uh you know electron medical records and things like that 24 7. so if you're not good at setting boundaries or knowing how to turn things off you could literally be on your computer laptop whatever it is 24-7, just yeah. checking labs, checking of messages, doing all these things. And so I think um, because of the way technology has become, everything's come so fast and so easy. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely can make it challenging for people who are not good about knowing how to set boundaries, you know, um, knowing knowing when to turn things off, you know. Are there any
1: specific types of things that you would recommend for people either coming out of medical school or coming out of training as they go into medicine. Given your experience, what would you tell them about life in medicine?
2: I would tell them that um, they need to have a hobby. <laughs> I, <would tell> them, <laughs> I, think, I think, and I would say, um, and I think we've heard this many a time, but don't, don't lose your relationships. I think sometimes, unfortunately, we get so busy in our work we get so busy in our lives that we forget to be intentional about making time for our friends like the people who really mean a lot to us or our family members you know Mm -hmm. and then unfortunately those go to the wayside and then all of a sudden when you need a friend or if you need something they're not there you know or it's just awkward now so I realized like you really have to be intentional about having an interest outside of medicine um, because what I'm seeing a lot unfortunately in a lot of are retired physicians interesting enough you know that generation where they are retiring now at 65 or older and they lived and breathed in the hospital. I mean, these are, these are people who are in the hospital six, seven days a week or whatever they were, what, Mm -hmm. however many hours at the night they would stay in the hospital or in the clinics. Um, when they get out their whole identity was their work. So then they go into this pretty deep depression a lot of times Mm -hmm. once they get out because they don't have any, um, they don't have any outlet anymore. They don't have any social contacts or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I would, or, or their whole worth self worth was based around their, their, being a doctor, yeah, you know, so I think I would say that that's probably one of the challenges, and I would definitely say more among the men. I think the women, the female physicians, tend to retire better. I think yeah. they, like they're so busy with so many other things, it's great. But yeah. I've noticed this more, especially the male demographic mm-hmm. of older physicians when they retire. So I would definitely tell the younger ones, don't make the time. I know you 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 can always make an excuse. I don't have time for. I don't have time. Mm-hmm. But I really believe that if you actually you can make the time. Yeah. It's just you have to be intentional about it. You can't just expect it to fall into your lap. Yeah. More than anything else. Yeah,
0: you are in ultimate control mm-hmm. of your reality. Right, so, you right. Know. But
2: I think what I've seen them on a lot of burned out physicians is unfortunately we go into the whole victim call- we go into mm-hmm. the victim card, which is hard. I mean, I get it, too, because I've been there. Like, I know I've been, bur- I've been mm-hmm. burned out. I burned out in med school. I burned out in, you know, in my, um, at, like, first couple of years of uh, practicing. Um, definitely, I know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. And I think the hard part is when you go into that victim mode, you feel powerless. You feel like I'm just a victim of my circumstance. I can't do anything about it, so I just have to deal. Yeah. And um, and I think one thing that when I coach some of the burned out physicians, I try to help them remember that, get, that they can get that control back or Parts of it back, um, and kind of go from there, because I think Mm -hmm. you forget—you forget that actually you do have some control, you know. And I think it's hot, but but you sometimes you need that reminder.
0: Yeah, and I I know we're gonna have you back on to get more in depth about burnout. But what inspired you to want to be a coach for
2: that? Oh yeah. No, it's so funny how it happened. You know, it's funny. Like I said, my, my second column is always the therapist. I realized like even in, in, ever since undergrad in med school, I, people always were like, Mike, you're so easy to talk to. And they would just kind of vent to me and I would just listen. And I, you know, and, and one of the things that I learned actually, and one of the unfortunate things I learned in med school is that one of my colleagues was super burned out. She's had a lot of things going on and I'll never forget. I think, and again, it wasn't at any, anyone's fault at that time, but I think she went to her counselor people and they basically told her, her, they response was you can you can hold back a year or here's the number to psychiatry here you go you know and and that was a different generation you know Mm -hmm. unfortunately but I I know it's gotten much better since then uh, in terms of med school and training but that's unfortunately what we got and so I'll tell you most doctors were not the types to ask for help you know Mm -hmm. it's it's, it's just kind of our pride slash the way that we were trained but I do think this younger generation may be different which is why I admire them um, because Mm -hmm. I think they're more open to receiving help and support in that way but I can tell you my generation the older generation it was a little different so um, I would definitely say that those factors contributed for sure Mm -hmm. yeah but there's so many things I could go on and on yeah. but, but I but because of that reason I realized that we do a great job caring for our patients but we suck at caring for ourselves and mm-hmm. we <laughs> you know we like I mean it, that's just the reality is we're so hard on ourselves and we like it's all about you know most of us who went into medicine uh, grew up with the culture of sacrifice 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 always mm-hmm. give 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 you know and so you know I think unfortunately no one said hey you need to take care of yourself too and what are you doing yeah. you know, it was always like a side note like you take care of yourself and they yeah. are like uh, I don't know how to do that, <laughs> yeah. you know? So when someone says that to me, I'm just like, well, how do I do that, you know? And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's how I got interested. And then I had, uh, while I was a, a physician at, at SCPMG, I had the uh, privilege of being able to be a communications coach. And what I realized for a lot of these physicians who are struggling with their, you know, satisfaction scores or whatever with patients, a lot of it was just because they are burned out or they are going through something hard. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I realized that, man, we, like people, like a lot of us need just a, a coach. I think all of us need a therapist. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I think I think that, you know, so that's kind of how I got interested into that whole thing. And then I, I, if you ever, I don't know if you've ever heard of Brene Brown, but she's this amazing um, PhD social worker from mm-hmm. University of Houston. And she does a ton of work on uh, shame, vulnerability, and authenticity. And so if you had a chance, I, I watched one of her tech talks, was totally inspired mm-hmm. and ended up getting certified in her work and use a lot of that because a lot of us doctors, I think we deal with, we struggle with shame. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, she calls it shame is I'm a bad person versus guilt is I'm a good person, but I make mistakes, you know, and I mm-hmm. think unfortunately, you know, what I would tell a lot of the doctors who are just graduating, I would say, you're going to get sued. You're going to have patients who are going to yell at you. You know, I think a lot of us come out with this ideal mentality, like, oh, every patient's going to love yeah. me. And it I'm won't gonna, happen
0: and, to me. Right, right, right. It won't
2: happen to me. But I just tell them, you're going to get sued. You're going to, you know, uh, if you're a surgeon, something bad is going to, you're going to have an adverse outcome as, a physician you're going to have an adverse outcome of something you did we're not perfect mm-hmm. but you know it's not about that's not going to make you a bad or good doctor that's going to be about how do you grow from that and how do you get better yeah. you know and i think the hard part is the reason why a lot of docs go into depression is after an adverse outcome happens i mean i can't even tell you the that's negative self-talk is just brutal it's that i suck i'm the worst doctor ever like i i'm, I'm so scared i'm gonna hurt somebody else you know and these are normal fears but I think it's just a matter of being able to. How do you be self-compassionate? Which is kind of where the trend I've been doing when I've been doing yeah. a lot of the coaching work around that. that have
0: thing. you seen a lot of lives turn around from you know retraining their brain? To...
2: For sure, yeah, no, definitely. I think you can definitely help to change the mindset. Yeah, you know, and and I think a lot of doctors just need to have empathy. And I think the hard part is when something bad happens. What do we end up doing? We just kind of hide. You know, we Mm -hmm. we go into this weird cave-like syndrome where we just don't talk to anybody, we don't share with anyone, and so honestly, the doctors that I worry about, you know, we've talked about physician suicide in the past Mm -hmm. before, and I've, and I'll tell you, the doctors who I worry about the most are the quiet ones, are the ones that don't say anything, but you find out the next day that they they did they took uh, their life, took their life, Yeah. yeah, and it just it kills me i mean it just breaks my heart when i hear those stories because people will think on the outside oh they're so like i don't get it they seem so great they were this and that but you don't realize there's this inner turmoil that they're dealing with every day and they just needed and sometimes some of them just needed someone to reach out and be like how are you doing you know Mm -hmm. like like, are you doing okay? I, You know, I heard that something happened. And I think one thing we don't do, because I think sometimes we don't know what to say. You know, yeah. I've noticed that. Like, you know, we don't know what to say to someone after they've had a bad experience or they've had an adverse outcome or, or something happened with one of their patients. But a lot of times it, it just it means so much when one of your colleagues just goes up to you and just says, hey, how are you doing? And I just want to remind you, you're a good doctor. Yeah. You know, I think that's the one thing we don't do enough because you know what what happens is quality control comes in and they you know ask these questions and of course you know it makes you feel worse. Yeah. You know, and so I think sometimes we just need that and and thankfully it's really neat because I have to say I have to give uh, shout outs to uh, the Kaiser Orange kind of group cause, and for SCPMG as well because they do have this uh, kind of peer to peer support now.
0: That so is-
1: well, that's great to hear.
2: Yeah. And it's great. And they do so. you know, it's such a support for the physician to physician. And I really am so grateful that the leadership supports it and that they've done so much with it there.
0: Yeah. And I'll link that Brene Brown's uh, TED talk oh, great in idea. the bottom. Oh, that'd uh, be awesome. You know, yeah. So you listeners can just go click on that. Yeah, please too. do.
2: And read her books. I mean, her books are amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Um, has medicine opened any interesting opportunities for you?
2: Um, you know just like
0: outside of Practicing outside of practicing, definitely. I think
2: like you know the coaching thing for sure mm-hmm. has has helped a lot because I you know again being able to coach other physicians has been really fun, and then physician leaders has been really actually mm-hmm. gratifying and enjoyable too as well. And then definitely you know being able to do some support work with some of the um, like the nonprofits and things like that too. Yeah. yeah, so that I definitely has opened that door. But I think that's the one thing that I tell people is keep your minds open. It's amazing what absolutely yeah. We're not stuck just doing clinical practice day, you know, day to day stuff. There's so many other avenues we can use our skill sets and mm. um, the the knowledge that we have to do other great things.
0: Yeah, I mean, you guys go through all this schooling and training, and you're so knowledgeable at so much. And everyone has their their, their niche, you know. And right. why not right. expand on that and share it and Right,
2: no. right, no, totally. So one of the things I would say is talking about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. I don't know if you've heard of the mm-hmm. book Mindset by uh, Carol Dweck, but it's that whole concept of grow, like continue to get better, continue to get grow. And I think that's the hard part sometimes is when you feel stuck. It's yeah. oftentimes because you're just in this kind of like fixed mindset mentality. Yes. So how do you how do you break through that and really be able to say, hey, there's I can grow in this way, and how do I invest in myself yeah. um, so that I can help others? You know, mm-hmm. and I think that's where the motivation should lie for sure.
0: For sure. Um, So I have a question that was from one of my coworkers here. He wanted to know, where do you think we are as a healthcare system in the shift from disease control to preventative care? Right.
2: I think... Yeah, no, that's a great question, and I think that's the battle that I think the healthcare that the healthcare system in America is going through right now is really we have to right now. Where is the reward coming from? The the payments and the and the models are basically paying for procedures. So you know, the more procedures, the more things that you do, you get, you make more money. Um, when I sit and I counsel a patient on not smoking, I, I don't get, I get like five bucks. I get nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so you know, I think what we need to definitely, I, I'm, I think, I. I think it's getting better, and not that I think, but it definitely will be getting better because I, I, I realize that people are starting to better appreciate the importance of preventative medicine now and, and really seeing that value-based care
1: um, and going from there.
0: Yeah.
1: Your buddy, and forgive me if I'm pronouncing his name wrong, Dr. Michael Geiger, How Not to Die?
0: Oh, yeah, 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 Michael Greger.
1: Greger. Yeah. excuse me. He is a physician who I don't mm-hmm. think he makes very much money because he's teaching people how to live longer and even sometimes prevent and cure diseases via a plant-based diet right 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 Right. so just as you said i get five bucks for telling someone not to smoke he doesn't get if someone has high cholesterol there's two choices i suppose one would be lifestyle modification right? right the other would be cholesterol med- medication. Right, right, right. So if you do cholesterol medication, somebody's making money. Right. You tell somebody to eat a plant-based diet. Right. Uh, there's not much there. <laughs> yeah. So it's you've talked about a balance. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, we'll see how this whole preventative medicine thing comes about, but I think she turned me on to that book and it's just been amazing for me.
2: Oh yeah. It plant-based, Percent, is just
1: amazing. just really really amazing. Um, and and we'll see how this goes forward in in medicine because hospitals have to make money. Right, right, exactly. And then it goes back to how many procedures,
2: how many films, how many things you know. And I think that's the yeah. that's a challenge, unfortunately, that we have to deal with. And and I, I do think that it's gonna be very interesting to see where the healthcare costs go because I think. I, not to say that there's not an importance in the administrative work, but so much of our costs go towards administrative work versus mm-hmm. actual healthcare mm-hmm. that I, I definitely think that that's going to have to get better too as yeah. well. So I, you know, it's it's scary. I think in in regards to the future of healthcare, and this is where I actually I'll be honest with you that I appreciated working for Kaiser Permanente was that they really do push preventative medicine mm-hmm. and that they really push those those aspects. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's still your uh, your your still have to come to the bigger system and that bigger system you know if you think about who gets paid more it's going to be the specialists that do more of the procedures you know it's not going to be the the primary care doc that sits with the patient and listens to them and deals with their depression and anxiety and all their other, you know, the diet yeah. issues and lifestyle changes mm-hmm. that will actually hopefully prevent them from having to get those procedures, right. which will actually save the healthcare system money, right? You know? so yeah. I think that's, that's I, I, I do believe that bigger systems are figuring that out, but I do think that Kaiser has a head start in that. That's sure. great. Yeah, nice. and systems like that
1: too. Do we have time for one more question? Yes. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. A couple more.
1: So as a physician recruitment firm, mm-hmm. we naturally work with a lot of family medicine physicians. Right. And uh, as you might be aware, huge demand. Sure. It's a huge demand. Right. 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 Probably right. I would say in this office, it's the number one of all the special, could we do all specialties mm. nationwide? Right. Okay. Family medicine is probably the one specialty we have the most of. So if you're a third-year family medicine resident, Dr. Lee, sure. you're getting bombarded right. with, with, recruiters. with recruiters, okay, jobs. Right. Some of these jobs are paying money that I think maybe a general surgeon can make, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. That's where we're at now. Right. Again, given your experience as a family medicine physician, sure what job search advice would you give to a third year family medicine resident in this market today right
2: Right. that's a great question because i i think that there's everyone's different you know and so what i would ask them to ask themselves is what's most important to them right now is is it the money you know is it the salary because with that Great pay is gonna come, you may have to live in the middle of some very rural area and work a lot of hours, you know? Or is it gonna be time? So you may not make as much money but um, you'll actually have maybe more time, you know? And and one of the transitions why I actually, um, you know, moved on and moving and joining another group um, that's called One Medical is that they do offer um, a little more time, you know? And so I think it's just a matter of where you are in your life stage sometimes. Because I know when I first finished med school, money was it because I had a lot of school loans to pay back. So, you know, that that was kind of where I was leaning towards. So what I would ask people is ask themselves, what's important to them right now? What's what's their priority, and also really look into the culture of the group, and that's why I'm excited because I, I really um, the group I'm joining is called One Medical, and it um, the, I really appreciate the culture that they have, and so far of what the, the the physicians that I've met there are amazing, the leaders I've met um, I gel with really well. It was funny when I first interviewed with them, I had to laugh because she was like, oh, we love Brene Brown here, and I was like, oh my gosh, you had me at that, and so you know I was like, it's like that Jerry Maguire scene, you know, so, sure. but uh, but you know I. I think and I would tell them definitely not just think about the money, but also think about the culture of the group. And, you know, because, you know, at the end of the day, the money is great, but it, it only makes you happy for so long. It, it's only going to
1: sustain that for so long. We learned before we started with this podcast that when you came out of your residency, you worked rural, and we're in the National oh. Health Service Corps yeah. to pay down some loans.
2: Right, exactly, and I really enjoyed working with that underserved population.
1: And, and as Pacific Companies, yes, we're physician recruiters, but we also think of ourselves as consultants. Right. Okay, so what we're trying to do, very much like you might want to do with a new patient, is assess the patient, mm. ask questions, do an H and P, you know, do tests. The medical evidence will tell you what the treatment plan should be. We try to use that same type of a formula when we're working with residents or ph- any, any physician, really. Right. Okay, But one of the things that struck me when you said that you went from uh, UCLA up to uh, Fraser Park,
2: mm-hmm. I believe, yes, yes,
1: for your National Health Service Corps to help pay down some of your student loans.
2: Right.
1: We try to have that conversation with a lot of people. Most physicians, especially in, in our opinion, young physicians coming out of training, Location is the number one driver. Right. Sure. Sometimes the money would be because I have three, four, five. I'm working with an OBGYN resident right now. $600,000. Wow. In student loans. Wow. So is the priority to live on the beach in California with our cost of living and our taxes and your debt? Right. Or would it be better to initially work in some place like Treasure Park. Right, right. Help pay down your loans, be in a better position financially, and then move to where you want to be. So it was just very interesting for us to hear you say that you took that route. You wanted to pay down some of your loans. And not only did you get your loans paid down, but you also shared with us prior to this podcast that you had a very good. Uh, experience in Fraser Park.
2: Right, right. Fraser Park and Lamont and those areas down in there. And it was, I worked for a great uh, community health center called Clinic at Sierra Vista there in the Central Valley. And it was a phenomenal experience because straight out of residency, you're freaking out. You know, you're know, you like, oh my gosh, I'm by myself. You know, and I have to say the nice thing was I actually had a chance to work with other doctors in the clinic that I could always, you know, curbside things with. Uh, but more importantly, it was, I, you know, when I first signed up for the National health Service Corps, I actually really um, wanted to work with the underserved populations oh, okay. yeah okay. so that was kind of actually my primary driver for that okay. and then uh, and then kind of got involved uh, with just wanting to stay in California because uh, initially I was like, oh, maybe I'll go to Alaska. Maybe I'll go to some yeah. r- r- know, rural area. And then, you know, I met my wife during training and we, I knew, you know, we knew we weren't going to be happy in, in an area where we didn't have some family support or something like that. So thankfully my parents are here in California, um, especially once we started having kids, it was such a huge help to have them around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that I definitely considered was being able to do that. And the, like you said, the learning was amazing. I mean, uh, you, you learn, your learning curve is Exponential when you sure. get out of training. And then especially working in an underserved area where these patients have no access to specialists um, and things like that. I, I'll never forget, I remember calling my friends who were specialists and being like, um, I would never manage this uh, outside of this area, mm-hmm. but like, yeah. what do I do? And yeah. I was prescribing things I would never prescribe, but you know, it was yeah. like, but it was an amazing, amazing experience. And I really enjoyed it. And, and I'll tell you, the one thing I really enjoyed was the patients were so appreciative. I mean, yes. like I shared with you before, they're so grateful. I mean, they're they're like, you know, they're so grateful that you're there and you're providing care for them and um and i remember they would come in with like baskets of fruit because a lot more migrant farm workers yeah Um, and so you know coming in with like and i just was really you know it just really brought gratification for me as a physician and
0: correct me if i'm wrong i you know um it seems like we're going towards the direction of giving med students advice to maybe try a rural position Mm -hmm. right out of school you know first of all maybe expand your skills Mm -hmm. But a lot of these rural um, areas pay really well, isn't that right
1: you know I have a I have a position now in rural midwest uh-huh. where uh, you know they're, they're offering two hundred thousand dollars just for a sign-on bonus <laughs>
2: right because right, they can't get anyone else out there yeah.
1: right but I think beyond that is yes they want to attract someone's attention but they also are offering that high of a Uh, a sign-on bonus to also help people with their loans.
2: Right, right.
1: Okay. Come and help us here. We'll help you with your loans. You know, I don't want to get too much into it, but the the healthcare system I work with is is amazing. They're really good people. They really care about um, compassion and and quality care as opposed to, you know, just having someone, anyone, go up there and treat these patients. But that's where we are with family medicine these days. Mm. That's how competitive it is. And, I couldn't even tell you how many email messages on a daily basis a third-year family medicine resident right now is, is getting. I, I, I don't even know. It's, right. it's got to be mind-boggling. Right. So at, at some point, I, I do actually feel compassion for the people that I work with because I know they're getting bombarded. They're, you know How do you make sense of all of this stuff? Coming at you while you're trying to finish your training, on top of maybe they've got a home life with kids and spouses, yeah. and significant others. Nice. How do you manage all of this at once? It has to be overwhelming. Right. And some of the, the work that we're trying to do is to try to educate uh, people coming up training, regardless of specialty, yeah. on how to navigate
0: contracts what? and all the different.
1: The questions you should be asking, what you should be looking for, the facts that you need to get, the questions you need to ask to get the details. You're a doctor. You deal in facts. You don't look at a patient and say, you know, you need to have your, your gallbladder taken out. Right. Okay? Right. You, you need to get some facts before you get to that. Right. Same thing with a, a job search. Mm-hmm. You need to get the facts mm-hmm. to tell you if this is the right treatment plan for you.
2: Right. right. No, I can't tell you how helpful that is because I think a lot of people, they don't teach you this stuff in medical school. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you come out and you're sort of a victim to whatever is thrown at you. Yeah. And then it's easy to succumb to something because it looks flashy. And I can't tell you, multiple of my my colleagues who took those jobs hated it and totally left after a year realizing it was yeah. not what they expected. And because I think they didn't have those same, they didn't have the guidance that you provide. You know, know asking about contracts what should I ask about malpractice? what should I ask about a tail which you know these no one taught them that stuff you know so I think that that's such a gift that you do for the docs if that you're supporting Mm -hmm. because that definitely is something that I wish even even I had more of when I first finished
1: we take this very seriously Dr. Lee Um, as a as a permanent recruiter at Pacific companies I'm not moving anywhere but I might be trying to talk someone to move from California to rural Minnesota Okay, I don't take that lightly. Yeah, yeah. So we just need to get the facts, and and again, we are recruiters, but a lot of us consider ourselves consultants. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's put the job aside and let's talk about you and what's really important to you. Right. Okay, and then we can go from
2: no I think that's great because I think sometimes honestly I hate to say it, but I think a lot of us get so fixed on the income part of it the money mm-hmm. part of it and I'm sure you've seen that where that's what they're just focused on but they don't see the bigger picture and I think that's great that you make them think about that stuff
1: we I think we, we have to I mean listen they make whatever they make in 50000 or whatever it is and as a third year family medicine resident right, exactly. in this case okay so to see someone offer you know uh, 250, 260, maybe even more in some more rural locations, that that tends to get anybody's attention, right? Right. right. It would me. Right. It would me. But let's take a look just like you would with your patient. Let's take a look at the whole. So if someone says, I've got a pain in my side, you don't just focus on the side. You're going to do an H&P to get the big picture. This is the same type of thing. We're trying to get the H&P, so to speak, from them to help them formulate the best treatment plan. Right. No, I think that's great.
2: And it, and it's nice. And I actually, I'll tell you, that's actually what you're doing is you're kind of coaching somebody, yeah. essentially. All, yeah. yeah, no, definitely. Because I, I realized that that's one thing that um, helped me actually, as I got certified in coaching, and how I even approach talking to my colleagues, and especially my patients, because I think a lot of times what we realize we're, we give too much advice, you know, like, you should do this, mm-hmm. you should exercise 30 minutes a day, you should, you know, eat this kind of diet. But what I realized, and the the beauty of what I appreciate, what I learned from coaching and and going through that training, is learning to ask the right questions. Because it, mm-hmm. really, it's it's not the, the coaching perspective is not me telling you what to do. But the coaching perspective is more getting you to figure that it's already in you. Mm-hmm. My goal as your coach is to get it out of you, to bring yeah. it out of you. And what works for me is gonna not work for you, and vice versa. So yeah. and that's why I mean I love all these wellness people who push the diets and the exercise and all that, mm-hmm. but I realize for some people, I mean it physically it is wellness. But, uh, you know, but the psychological component is not being addressed, you know. So yeah. I think what we realized that, you know, hey, running five miles a day works for you. I hate running. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like I, I, I put on my tennis shoes and I start sweating, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, so I realized like, you know, it's it's not for everyone. And, you know, I love, I, lo- I hate to say it, I love meat. <laughs> like yeah. You know, plant-based diet is good and mm-hmm. I definitely will probably keep me, will help me live a little longer. But that doesn't, isn't always going to make me more well yeah. mentally or, or emotionally. So you know, I think, I think everyone—it works for everyone's different, and we have to get over the fact that what works. For, I think a lot of people go with the assumption that hey, it worked for me, it'll work for you. Yeah. But we have to stop doing that. And that. That's actually what part of coaching taught me was yeah. learning not to not to make those kind of assumptions and judgments. Well, sure. isn't
0: it? I mean, a lot of it, everything stems from your mindset. <laughs> I mean, didn't they didn't they do um, some trials where they told some cancer patients uh, that they didn't have something where it would make them think positively mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. and then it's the ones that had got a bad diagnosis thought negatively they got more sick right right, right. and then the ones who had positive information mm-hmm. got better
2: right, right and it's all
0: psychological
2: yeah there is a huge connection and and I, and it's hard to know is that because of behaviors that arise from that psychological mm-hmm. mindset or is it that there is something different about the what gets what released release. yeah right neurotransmitters or whatever that might be with that so I'm mm-hmm. a big big fan of positive psychology I think that yeah. there is a lot of positive benefit to that and I try to coach that definitely
1: in, and yeah. in when I work with there's the inner psychiatrist coming out. Right,
2: right, right. I know. It's like I can already, I know what you're thinking even before you say it. <laughs> right.
0: So I have one more question for you. Sure. Um, so this is one, I mean, when we're talking about med students, we like to ask because this is not taught in training um, what financial advice would you give? Um, a med student that's just about to go out into the physician career world
2: right oh there's so many things I would love to tell them you know and I would tell them it's funny I do a finance talk a personal finance talk for the residents uh, you know oh at, that's great hazard, yeah it's am seeing the right person yeah, yeah it's just yeah. funny it's funny because it's, it's all the things I wish someone had taught me before I you know when I was in residency training and the hard part because you know when you get out as a physician you get bombarded with all these financial planners because they know now you're a doctor you're a little high you're a high-income mm-hmm. earner so now they surround you with all these things and so it's funny I always tell the docs do not I mean you know nothing against people who have timeshares but don't do timeshares <laughs> so yeah. i them like that's the one thing don't get suckered into timeshares mm-hmm. and I, you know I always tell them you know you have to make sure that you take care of your insurances you know whether it be disability insurance you know umbrella coverage these are all things that are really important because no one tells you you got to protect your assets mm-hmm. you know in some way for sure to think about that and then really it's about living below your means. And that's what I always tell them. That's the best advice I would say is live below your means. I mean and and actually if you have a lot of debt, it don't look look at it as more of, you know, these are challenges. But that I can get, I can do this, and you really have to have a plan. You can't just make assumptions that ah, oh, it'll just pay itself off over time. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. and this is where you know whether it be Susie Orman, Dave Ramsey, if, you know, any of those, any of those financial like listen to their podcasts, read their books. They give a lot of great information about how to uh, set up an Excel sheet, how to like set up a plan to know how to pay down your debts. But mm-hmm. you know, definitely, I don't don't get me started. I go it's on and on. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, it it's
0: something that they don't teach.
2: Right. And it's so
0: important because you're you're going from making fifty grand to tripling it
2: right, and you
0: just don't know they right. they go and you know buy the big house and right. they're living above their means right
2: right because what is your real estate agent going to tell you is buy the most expensive house you yeah. can afford you know and, mm-hmm. and what is your financial planner going to tell you like put your money into all these investments you know and, and nobody's going to tell you like no no like take just a little chill bit. chill out a little right, bit right you know? right like plan it all out you know look at your income look at make a budget like yeah. look at you know look at your fixed costs and then start from the money remaining think about how you're going to pay down your loans and Mm -hmm. think about how long and and how long you want to take to pay them down and all those things but definitely and if and if some people enjoy that stuff and if you don't enjoy it then just my my advice would be get a really good financial advisor who Mm -hmm. can give you that advice and who can help you with that because i know a lot of docs don't like to deal with that stuff they just you know they work and the last Mm -hmm. thing they want to think about is investments and stocks and and retirement plans all that that's okay that's fine just find a really good financial advisor that can give you good advice and i can assure if you ask your colleagues, they all have someone that they can recommend for you that has helped them. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for really your time. Well. If anyone wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Um,
2: I would say by email. Probably okay. would be the best way to get a hold of me. All right, and yeah. I'll link
0: that into the description. Okay. Um, and then you said you do some of the speaking events and all that yeah
2: I do I definitely do some public speaking I've, I have been blessed with the opportunity to speak uh, at some of the Orange County Medical Association uh, events mm-hmm. around self-compassion burnout and okay. then um, you know, now I do more of the leadership coaching so I've been able to do I'm going to actually probably do an upcoming talk around how to be an empathic leader you know mm-hmm. and stuff like that cool. so those are some of my interests for sure so
0: someone can just email you and you'll let them know when for sure. your next event is going on Definitely, or definitely and okay. my last
2: advice would be just take the time to breathe and be self-compassionate I I, again self compassion has been my big theme lately because again we're the hardest on ourselves and I would say that you know really when you hear that voice to really if you're going through something hard whether it be a divorce whether it be some adverse outcome whether it be something um, I would just my advice would be talk to yourself like you talk to a friend I learned that from Kristin Neff who has written a bunch of books on Mm self-compassion but definitely just say and I, I realize I take a step back and I say okay if I was my best friend what would I tell myself? Because I know what I'm telling myself right now, if I told that to my professor, I'd have no friends. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, <laughs> so so i take a step back, and it, it's really helped me get through yeah, some pretty hard that's times. that's a good point. For sure. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you again. Um, thanks, Mark, for co-hosting. And yes, we'll right. have you back in soon for um, our burnout. That's right.
1: That'd be great. So that sounds, that'd
0: yeah. be interesting. We'll have a great day, Dr. Lee. Bye.
2: Bye. Thank you.
0: Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Doc Lounge Podcast Providers Perspective Series with Dr. Lee. If you're interested in being a guest on the Doc Lounge Podcast, go to www.pacificcompanies.com.